0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on JR or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world and personal finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zelwa, I'm financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management, and today I'm joined in the studio by two of the authors of a new business book called The Mindful Entrepreneur. So my two guests today are Joel Gershman, business coach, author and educator in business growth management and leadership, and the managing director of The Change Coach. Welcome, Joel. Good to have you. Thanks very much, Ruben. And with him, I have Howard Finger, who is the subject of the book, serial entrepreneur, And Managing Director of VinciWorks, a global business that develops compliance and risk management solutions with a specialty in law firms. Welcome, Howard.
1: Well, thanks, Ruben.
0: Great to have you guys here. We welcome your SMSs at any time during the show, 04788 So the new book, uh, The Mindful Entrepreneur, which is co-authored by Joel Howard and uh, Aria Goldman. So that charts Howard's journey from business and personal distress to success, uh, a scalable business model that gives you personal uh, and and business freedom. So first of all, Howard, I've described you as uh, your business as one that develops compliance and risk management solutions. And there's something about collaboration as well. What does that mean?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't want to bore everybody too much, but um, bottom line is that we produce... um, both training and software, um, for compliance. So whenever there's a mandatory requirement, regulatory requirement for a company or a business to do something and there is a training um, aspect to that or a systems management, software management aspect to that, we build that software and we build the training. Yeah, and you've got a specialty in... Law firms in particular? Well, yeah. Originally, and the core of our business um, still, I guess, is is law firms. Um, and you talked about collaboration because that was one of the unique models was um, um, I was able to bring together at the time when money laundering became came into force. So after 9-11, yeah. um, a lot of the governments wanted to try and stop money laundering. They wanted to impact on terrorist financing. Um, and so um, they imposed money laundering regulations on all the major law firms. Banks had already been... Um, yeah. Bound by it. And so I was able to bring together 14 largest law firms in the world. And we were able to set a standard for what is effective money laundering training for the legal profession.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know in my practice in financial advice, I think the money laundering legislation came in, I don't know, it would have been 10 plus years ago. That's correct. Well, the business
1: has been going that long. But um, yeah, exactly. And uh, in in Australia, um, still law firms aren't um, regulated under the money yeah. laundering regulations, but anybody who deals in money and yeah. financial services is. So that's one aspect yeah. of what we do. And now we're growing beyond um, the um, legal sector into corporates and banks and other sectors, which was part of the growth plan that Joel helped me implement, actually.
0: Okay. So, Joel, I mean, I've spoken to you about uh, writing a book for a while. What was the motivation for writing it? Was it always a plan or did it just come out of a piece of work that you were doing?
2: Um, It's a great question. Actually, it came out of a conversation that Howard and I were having. While I was coaching Howard, um, we ended up having a discussion about how I was planning on growing my own business. And he asked me the question, you know, how do some of the big business, you know, famous business gurus grow their own businesses? And I said, look, often they become an authority in the field through thought leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said, hang on, what's that? Uh, And I said, look, it's essentially about writing novel, uh, coming up with novel, helpful concepts, business concepts, and then writing a book about it. And he challenged me. He said, so why don't you write a book? Hmm. And my initial response was, I don't know what I'd write about. (laughs) Um, And and I don't even know how I'd write a book. And he said, well, what kinds of books are successful? And I, and I said, look, in the business space, I find that some of the most helpful, successful, inspiring books are ones that tell a story. Yeah. And he said, so tell a story. And I said, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And the first, next thing we did um, is we actually Googled it. How do you write an engaging story? And we came across some interesting um, research by a guy named Joseph Campbell, who wrote about the hero's journey. Oh, you yeah, may heard have about heard that. about that. The yep. hero's journey is that that archetypal pattern that underlies most of the famous, you know, myths and legends, right from, you know, biblical Moses through to, you know, Star mm. Wars and yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings, um, Superman, et cetera, um, where you have this, you know, so-called hero who starts out in a difficult situation and then mm. gets gets his calling and faces a challenge and fails at the first one and meets his mentor and goes into yeah. training, etc. and... I said, you know, that's a really interesting model for a story. Yeah, And so I began to write a story about um, a, a theoretical business owner who was going through that process. And I kept on coming back to Howard and saying, well, how would you experience this part of the process? And he would tell me, and I would kind of put that into the story until eventually he turned around and said to me, are you writing a story or are you writing my story? mm and at that point, I realized I was probably writing Howard's story. Mm. So
0: he was either going to sue you for what like mean, you know, <laughs> taking his, or, or he was going to go into partnership with you.
1: On the exactly. <laughs> I chose the partnership track. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the the, um, the issue was, for, for example, the, start, the opening, you think about Star Wars, the person's lost in the desert. Mm. And Joel said to me, what's the equivalent of a businessman being lost mm. in the desert or being alone? And I said, waking up at three o'clock in the morning, worrying about paying the bills.
0: Yeah. And that's where it started. And that's
1: really where it started. And once he started to talk about what he wanted to do, I realized that that I hadn't read anything myself Mm. that truthfully told and spoke about the pressures and the pain Mm. of running a small business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: one, um, one thing that's interesting
0: reading the book is it seems to be a lot of conversations, right? So it's conversations between the two of you, conversations between you howard and Ari, and it's very really specific about the you know where and how these conversations took place yes whether it's in the kind of quantus lounge or cathay you know, York, in, or cathay lounge wherever it is i mean the one question when i read that book is did those conversations happen exactly like that is it is it verbatim or 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 how does the sort of license work in terms of re, you know so recreating I, them
1: so the answer is yes um, and yes, there is some poetic license, but more in around the chronology, right? To make the the story flow mm. more effectively in the yeah. book. Um, but most of the, if not all of the conversations, happened as they did, um, because a lot of the process we were actually writing the book as we, I was going through the coaching process yeah. with Joel. Yeah. Um. And so we actually really just rewrote what was currently occurring. For us. Yeah. And that was what was really interesting, because in the hero's journey, you the hero has the fight and wins, but then realizes that's not his ultimate fight. Mm-hmm. And the real challenge is still to come. And so we kept saying, well, hang on a minute. Does that mean and still has my ultimate challenge arrived yet? Yeah. And am I actually going to succeed or I'm now going to face the real battle? Yeah. And that's so it was really a, um, it was almost a like reality TV. Yeah. Book writing something.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that also strikes me as well whenever I see a book that's co authored, you know, or in this case, it's written by three people, Mm. I sort of think to myself, what a nightmare. (laughs) How on earth do you get three people to agree with what to write? I mean, does one person do one chapter, one do the second, or, and the other the
2: third? I mean, how do you make it work? Well, I think what we started with is a a storyboard and we, we all sat together and brainstormed the storyboard of what are the key chapters and what's the key concept or idea we want to convey in each chapter. That was, a, I'd say, a collaborative process. Yeah. But once we got that down pat, then we allocated different areas or different chapters to different people. Okay. So I, for example, focused on the, the business-oriented chapters, and I would put down the key concepts and then shoot it through to Howard. Actually, we used a, a, a Google Doc, which we could all yeah. collaborate on, and, and he would add in some of the detail around his actual experience.
0: So you did the key concepts without writing at all in one go. You
2: just sort of started
0: fleshing it out? In dot point form, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I want to say that uh, rather than it being... It's a very... Life is layered, right? Mm. It's not one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And I think that what we found was that there was there was Joel's theory and, and, and coaching philosophy mm. which he was applying to the business. There was my actual application mm. In my life, in the business of that philosophy, into my business, and then jo- actually Aria came in a bit later when we realised that what wasn't covered was the the, the personal um, the, the sense of resilience, the sense mm. of staying sane in the process of running a business, yeah. And that was a third layer, and so we each sort of focused on our own what was what we all knew best, um, yeah. and then contributed that part into the book.
0: Were there any tense? Uh Moments or conversations as you develop, or any disagreements about, I don't know, how a conversation panned out, or
2: I think oh, we, we didn't have any major disagreements, but <laughs> disappointingly, it was really quite. Easy. I'm amazed. I, I, yeah. I think, I think you guys gave me the final say on um, the final editing say on, yeah. on, on exactly how it was expressed, and I think that was probably important because if we had to agree on every single full stop and um, and comma yeah. that could have been an issue. Yeah, I,
1: I think what because we're on on Jewish radio, I think one thing is what was a, an ongoing conversation which took a long time to resolve was whether um, we've referred to Arya as rabbi, yeah. or not. And um, we definitely all agreed that we didn't want to write a Jewish book because mm. we wanted because we felt the 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 value is much broader than that, mm. and we didn't want to. We know there'd be some resistance if someone saw it as a religiously yeah. oriented, which it's not. Um, and so that whole conversation is just to how do we refer to so throughout the whole was the whole drafting, it started as a Rabbi, then it went to Reb Arya. <laughs> right. Um, until eventually Arya said, No, don't just straight Arya. Call me Arya.
0: So if that was the biggest uh yeah. sort of you know disagreement you had, I think you did pretty well.
1: It was fun. It was creative. Yeah. We would meet at basically um, five or six o'clock in the morning every Wednesday um, online. Yeah. On,
2: on the morning for you. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that was yeah. In, yeah. London. in London. For me, it was the afternoon. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, and, and we would meet like, yeah.
1: via Skype. Yeah. Okay. And Skype and, and Google and, um, you know, high-tech collaboration. So it okay. was great.
0: And it was all happy days at the end. And you're all still talking and, you yeah, know. We're waiting for the big challenge together. to come. Okay, good. <laughs> now, just getting onto the um, onto the story a bit more... Um, one of the interesting things that I found in it when I was reading and I thought, Is it, could this be right? You know, you were obviously the founder of your firm, yep. right? You brought other shareholders in. Yep. And then at one point, those shareholders or sort of with agreement with you said, how do we want you to step down? So it wasn't the so
1: shareholders. Actually. It was it you. No, no. It was the, the actually my managing director. Right, right. right.
0: That, that, that's right. And, and that I couldn't understand. I mean, he's the founder of the firm. Being ousted by his managing director, I, I just yeah. couldn't get my head around that.
1: Well, I think you've got to realise that first of all, that the managing director said at the time that he had the support of my COO um, and others in the organisation. So, um,
0: and just so I'm clear as well, just from a what sort of shareholding? Were you a majority shareholder then, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, the shareholding is actually irrelevant it was it? on yeah. this because what it was was that I had, I had. Um, I, as it says in the book I think I'd actually given up responsibility handed over responsibility for the business I was mm. playing golf here in Melbourne having a great time yeah right as opposed to really driving the business mm. and the managing director was was presumably I assumed driving the business mm-hmm and um, Josh Goodhart who was who's still my CEO was running the the operations the back office which is now in Jerusalem mm mm-hmm. um, and so I was very much hands-off in any way for a period of time yeah um, and so when they the the thought of firing him and then presumably firing others was almost impossible because who was going to run the business Mm. so it wasn't that i could just get rid of them and replace them yeah so i was really tied tied down in that if 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 i didn't agree what they did they would presumably leave and i couldn't run the business on my Mm. own it was really way too complicated But,
0: but i mean i just imagine that would create enormous conflict and I don't know how you'd find how you could find your way back from that sort of conflict, having your yeah. colleagues actually yeah. oust you. Yeah,
1: well I think if you in, as you see in the book, um, it was a very, very, very difficult time, mm. and um it was partly the conversation with Arya that
2: um that helped me find a way out of that. Mm. Yeah, that um, was where he helped you see that there were opportunities hidden, so to speak, within mm. the, the challenge. That's right. Mm. I mean,
1: I was always challenged because I, I still travel a lot. And the idea of being away from home, suddenly this meant, oh, you know what? I didn't see it that t- at the time until I had the conversation with Aria. Yeah. That maybe I could spend more time at home. Maybe I could step back from the business. Mm. Maybe I could do other things. Mm. And so seeing the opportunity in, in the, the situation was one of the breakthroughs for me.
0: But ultimately, that didn't work, handing over controls in that way. No,
1: as you read in the book. I don't want to spoil it for anybody because it's quite an interesting phenomenon. But yeah, it didn't work. And I ended up um, having to dig deep and go back in. And I think one of the interesting challenges at that time was trying to convince myself that I wasn't going to make the same mistake again. Yeah. Um, And I think that's one of the challenges that we do is keep doing the same thing the same way and expect a different outcome. That's right. We'll
0: talk about that soon. Okay, you're listening to the Finance Hour on Jair, either online or on the podcast. I've got Joel Gershman and Howard Finger in with me today. Um, we are going to take a short break and come back and discuss some more concepts in the book. Welcome back to the Finance Hour on Jair. We're speaking with Joel Gershman and Howard Finger this afternoon. Now, Joel, one of the things that I think uh, is a challenge when people hire a business coach is you can have sort of a session with your business coach and you discuss all these things. Then you come back to the office and, you know, the email's going, the phone's going, you've got accounts receivable, accounts payable, and it can all very quickly be delegated to, you know, something I'll deal with later. How do uh, how do you actually deal with that? And I'm interested in your feedback on that as well, Howard, but how do you, Joel, as a business coach, just deal with that sort of, you know, not getting delegated to the, to the bottom of the task list?
2: Right. And, and that probably applies to almost any task that doesn't feel immediately urgent in your life. Mm. I think we all get swamped with those seemingly urgent tasks that might not be that important but yeah. seem to require a response right now, like that email, that text message you need to yeah. respond to or the account's receivable. How do you make sure that you're working, you know, the word I use is on the business, mm. not just in the business, mm. especially when it doesn't feel as urgent. Um, one of the things that I recommend people do is to carve out some time in the week mm. for working on the business and making that time almost like sacrosanct time mm. just like you you know you're making an appointment with your most important client that you wouldn't suddenly yeah. cancel to do your accounts receivable um you make an appointment with yourself so to speak yeah. for working on the business if you yeah. expect that you're just going to do it when you have spare time i mm. promise you it mm. won't happen
0: it's funny you know i've tried that uh, as well and i've got aspects spaces in my diary for marketing for working on processes and still things creep into it you know right. a friend will call me and say you know, he wants to have breakfast at 8 30 you know that morning that that's dedicated for marketing i, I go and have breakfast with him mm. even when you've got it in your diary it's still hard to to keep to it. Well,
2: and and that's where I think having someone in your life to hold you accountable mm. for the commitments you make can become really important. Yeah, whether that's you know um in relation to your business or in relation to any other part of your life, mm. I mean, for example, I go to a personal trainer a couple of days mm. a week. Mm. Um, and, and I have a personal trainer, not because I don't know how to do the exercises. I know mm. I could do it myself. Yeah. But when I know there's someone waiting for me who's holding me accountable, I'm much more likely to yeah. do it. And I see value in that. And yeah. that, that's where having someone to say, hang on a second, you said you were going to do it at this time. Mm. What have you produced?
0: And Howard, at the stage where you sort of engage Joel and then Naria as well, your business was in a bit of a state of flux and you had things going all over the place and you would have had a huge amount of noise yeah. that you had to deal with urgently. Yeah. How did you manage to integrate you know, your, right. your, your meetings with Joel into, into practice?
1: So flux is a nice complimentary word. <laughs> we were in deep, I won't say the word. Um, it was real problems. And at that time, to think about doing anything other than trying to collect money or, mm. or put out fires seemed impossible. But I think there are two things. One is that um, I got to the point of realising that it wasn't working. Mm. Um, And I think that it's the same thing, you know, you tend to give up smoking when you have the heart attack.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I hadn't had the heart attack, but I was certainly feeling the pressure of a likely heart
0: attack.
1: And so the fact was that Joel appeared in my life at that time with an option. Right. I suddenly realised that I had to do something and this Mm. was a way. But I think what's more important or as important is that the... What Joel has done with his um, coaching system and process and why it worked was exactly a a solution to the problem you said. I used to go to these courses and Mm. and put it on the side of the desk and then eventually it would just Mm. fall into the bin, right? Never do anything. And so, but the difference with with what Joel does is is he breaks it down into small digestible Mm. pieces, yeah, right? And then says, okay, this is the theory. You got the theory? Okay, now apply this bit into your Mm. business and in a week or two weeks, we're going to come back and let's see what you've done and then we'll move on. Yeah. And it was small enough and clear enough and precise enough and I had a deadline to meet that allowed yeah. me to do it and then I suddenly saw some amazing results. Yeah, okay. Once you see the so results. So once you
0: saw some success at work. Yeah. But that's really interesting. As you say, it's it's really you coming to that realisation, having that having that moment that you see things have to change that, that yeah. actually makes it work. And that might be sometimes where, uh, you know, Joel... Obviously, you can, you know, uh, in Howard's case, he was the decision maker. But when you're dealing with coaching bigger businesses and you might have some parties there who, yes, they really feel the need for it. But then you've got other parties that in the business that don't, right. you, know, ha- you know, how you manage that. Uh,
2: that's why I love dealing with business owners because <laughs> they are the ones who yeah. have the ability to make those decisions and calls yeah. and i find that when i'm dealing with a business where the business owner isn't entirely on board and mm. driving it and mm. the word we use in the book is taking ownership then it doesn't work
0: yeah yeah so Howard, um as i said early on in the uh in the book or should i be telling people what happens I, That's say, all right um, it's my show i'll say what i want mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay at some point anyway um Joel introduces Arya Goldman to you. That's when yep. you're sitting in the cafe lounge. Now, it was really for some, I guess, psychological and spiritual guidance. Is that is that fair to say? What, what was the, that was the pretext for introducing him?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I was certainly the view that I didn't need a shrink, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And I didn't need a rabbi, right? Um, that wasn't <laughs> what I saw. Um, but at the time, um, that I was definitely... I realized that, you're, if you read in the book, that I was getting, I handled stress well, mm. but this was really intense, mm. and I recognized how stressed out I'd got, merely by the fact that I hadn't got the seat that I normally get on the airplane. Mm. And I at that moment, and the plane was delayed, and I thought, this isn't right. I shouldn't be getting this wide, yeah. right? And Joel had happened since, given me... Ari's number Mm. and said, give him a call. I then spoke Mm. to Andrew, and my wife, and she said, yeah, why not? And Mm. I went, but there's nothing wrong with me. She said, no, but why not? Mm. And so I just thought, I've got an hour to waste. Why not?
0: Yeah. And pretty much from the first sort of conversations, you could – you made that connection and it worked. It so, worked well. W- were you cynical to start with about the whole? I'm a born cynic. Yeah, I'm a born cynic. And,
1: and, and let me to be honest, I knew I've met Arya a couple of times before, but never had a proper yeah. conversation with him. Yeah. Um, but he opened the conversation with a, with questions like, you know, why aren't you happy? Mm. And it was like, hang on, who the hell are you, and why you ask me that? So mm. he challenged me with questions that obviously touched. Um, and he supported it with 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 real current um, f- philosophy and psychology from mm. from sources that I recognised. Right. So he had a um, there was something about it that just yeah. uh, that said this guy, you know, knows, he knows, work, knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and I need to listen to this.
0: So it felt very relevant to you. Yeah, quickly. and
1: I hope that well the feedback we've got from the book, the mindful entrepreneur, mm. um, has been astonishing because you know this Joseph Campbell we talk about the hero's journey. What I think we've written. Um, and not intentionally, but it is the archetypal small businessman's journey. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's more extreme or more different in some ways, but fundamentally, the feedback we've got from many people the emails we've got from people who said, I picked your book up in the airport, I mm. read it on the way to China, you're writing my story. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that... Um, that we are in Aria's recognition of it's everybody's pain, and we're all looking for mm. meaning. For example, we're all looking for purpose, um, and we all have the same struggles.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Joel, uh, the book itself draws on like a lot of f- different philosophies. Yep. And one of them, which um, which sort of I picked out was the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Mm. So can you just tell me a little bit about how the relevance of that in terms of business coaching and right. maybe Howard's situation sure. in particular.
2: Sure, and look, it's a, it's a good segue from what Howard was just mentioning before. Um, you know, people often ask the question, you know, what is it that you you need? And and Aria asked that question to Howard. You know, what's missing in your life? And the immediate answer Howard gave was cash, and and indeed he was facing serious cash flow problems, and he did need cash. Um, but what Arya essentially challenged him on is to, is around saying that that's only partially right. Of course mm. you need cash, but cash alone won't actually make you happy. Mm. It's not the only thing missing in life. And, and what research has shown is that cash is part of the equation, not the full equation. We well, yeah. talked about you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. where we have these lower order needs like food and shelter, and having enough money to pay for those things, and they're important. But once you satisfy those to a basic degree, more of those don't actually make you mm. happier.
0: I think one of the pieces of research that I've read about that is how much, you know, an employee getting a pay rise, you know, how what satisfaction it gives them, and right. it, and it and, and the research is that it you know, gives them satisfaction immediately, but but that wears off. Very very
2: quickly, absolutely, and there's so much research in this area. Mm. One of my favorite studies is the one by Daniel Kahneman mm. um, where he uh, he looked at three groups of people low income earners, medium income earners, and high income earners and he, he looked at how happy they were and what he found as he expected, was that medium income earners were happier than low income earners, people who were literally on the poverty mm. line and couldn't afford to eat or, to, to eat and, and pay for shelter. But what he found, which surprised him, was that high-income earners were no happier than medium-income mm. earners. Yep. So once you reach that certain, certain level, level yep. then more doesn't make you happier. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. it's not to say that we wouldn't like a bit of more money.
0: Well, it's interesting. The other side of that is when you're running a business, though— you know, the financial performance is your ultimate scorecard, isn't it? Whether or not it's the actual money that's going to make the difference, but the fact that you see, you know, you've set yourself a a dollar budget and you've reached it, you know, it, it's a measuring stick.
2: I think, it, and it is a measuring stick and, and it's an important measuring stick and you need to develop strategies that directly hit that particular mm. benchmark. And at the same time, I think what we realised is that The state of your business and your state of mind are Mm. deeply intertwined. Mm. And if you only focus on one aspect, you're actually not going to achieve not business success and not personal fulfillment. Mm. And so really, we we look at it from a holistic perspective to say, yes, we need to focus on the business and hit our Mm. business goals. It's critical. And we need to look at our personal side. Yeah. And focus on that as well.
0: Yeah, but it's Uh, yes. Sorry, you go on, Howard.
1: No, I was just going to say because uh, it seems so obvious when you say it, but when you're living it, it's not so obvious. That when life at home is good and your relationships are stress-free and everybody's comfortable, you're a better businessman.
0: Mm, No doubt, right?
1: And when business is happening and working well, and there is you are hitting your targets, Mm. then actually life at home seems to be easier. Now right. it's obvious but what we've realized and I can to realize was that the it's the combination of both is what the target has to mm. be but then you achieve optimum performance levels
0: yeah but it's not always easy like as it's setting a goal of like a financial thing that's that's easy right setting a goal in a personal aspect or you know spending a certain amount of time with my wife or or whatever it's a, little, it's a little fuzzier, isn't it, setting those goals? Well,
1: it depends, right? I would say, having gone through the process with Joel, no, actually. Um, mm. And that it depends on, first of all, recogni- recognize, like you were saying, are you recognizing the value of the time you're spending? Mm. Right? Most of us do what, and I've, I do what you were saying you do. Okay, I put aside that hour to do marketing, but because my friend said come for breakfast, I then don't value that hour of marketing as highly mm. as I should. So it's the same thing. Do I value and recognize the, the time I would be spending with Andrea mm. as not just improving my personal life and my relationship with her, but actually impacting on the business? Then it, it, it creates a level playing field between mm. your personal relationship and the business relationship. Yeah. And,
2: and just to go further on that idea of, of setting goals, just like you can set financial goals for your business, mm. you can set goals for every aspect of your life. And Howard and I came up with some very practical goals, mm. some around his health, which related to things like losing weight um, and, and achieving a certain level of, of fitness. Mm. You can measure those just like you can measure financial performance. Yeah. Um, and likewise for you know spending quality time with family and friends. You can measure those too. Yeah. I would just I mean, For example, I agreed that we've set
1: a target of spending X percentage of time in Australia because my business is based in the UK and everywhere else. I was traveling all the time. So one of the targets right, was to bring down the amount of time I would spend outside of, of, of Australia. Now, when it came to it, I realized that the business dem- needed me outside of Australia. Mm. So then because I had the open conversation with Andrea, we said, okay, so now she travels with me. Mm. And it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's interesting as well. Though you set the goals, and uh, and we were talking about this before we started. That sometimes it's easy to get a burst of energy, you know, when you're starting a project, and then it's how do you keep that going? I was having a discussion with another friend who's in business, and he was telling me about certain marketing he was doing. He was using LinkedIn to, you know, introduce himself to other people, you know, his Mm -hmm. target clients, and it worked really well. He he actually. You know, introduced himself, and he made several meetings, and you know, and it was working. And then he made the comment to me, you know, it worked so well that I decided I didn't need to do it anymore. Yeah. And he stopped doing it. And then he started doing some other kind of marketing, yeah. you know, his website or whatever. And you were having a discussion, he said, hang on, I was doing that other marketing, and it was working. Why did I stop? Mm. I, I think
1: that one of the things that, that Joel gave me was was this, this concept of setting shorter term goals. Mm. Right. That often we set goals that are yeah, maybe they're achievable, but they're way out there. Right. And and therefore, what, what with Joel, we were setting 30 day and 90 day goals. Yeah. And that way it meant that by the time I get to that 30 days, I could look back and say, oh, yeah, mm. I've achieved something there. Mm. Right. Now let's set the next goal. Yeah. And so but how
0: do you figure? How do you? Make sure you're still doing the first goal once you've moved on from so, it. Uh,
2: so the value of having a coach, mm. for start. <laughs> yeah. So it comes part of it comes back to the accountability piece that mm. we talked about earlier of having someone who's, you know, looking at what you're doing and reminding you. Mm. But I think there's another aspect as well, and that is building um, it into your life as a system. Mm. Right. I have, we haven't defined the word system, but it's essentially a you know a process that gets performed in a certain way over and over and over again. If you find that LinkedIn marketing works well, mm. then build it into your week as a um, a permanent structure or part of your week. So for example, you might allocate as you say, you know, Monday mornings or Tuesday mornings or whatever it is mm. to spend 45 minutes on LinkedIn marketing and that becomes a standard part of your week. Mm. As soon as you say you say to yourself, you know what, I'll do it when I have time, it ain't gonna happen.
0: Yeah, so it's really about um, installing it as a habit. That's so it. let's get into some more nitty gritty um, stuff from a business point of view. Um, so one of the things I said at the beginning is how you're, you sort of uh, have a specialisation in law firms. Yep, uh, and it's interesting. You see, obviously, some you know a lot of successful businesses that have that unique target, and then you see some big businesses which kind of target everyone. Mm. You know, if you think of something like an Apple, like it, it seems to me. You can't necessarily put a niche in there who it is. They they developed this amazing product and just you know eighty percent of people just just liked it. Joel, how do you how do you know whether you should be getting a niche or not?
2: First of all, I dispute the idea that Apple or Facebook or any of these global, you know, incredibly large organizations um are Amazon, you know. Started by targeting everyone, they didn't start that way. It's true now that Apple is a you know, mass market product, but when they began, they focused on computer geeks, mm. and they 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 built that particular oh, target market into you know raving fans, and then they then they built from there. And Facebook started with you know university students
1: mm. and
2: focused on getting that market excited, and then built from there. Uh, you know, the, the point I'd make is this. Um, people sometimes think that your customers are really anyone who is willing to buy the product. And I'd be saying that's actually not a very effective perspective. Much more effective is to ask the question, who are the people who would really like to buy my product, could really benefit from my product, have the money to pay for my product or service, mm-hmm. um, are easy to find and, and attract and then really hone in on those, and focus on them, and
0: build from there. And that, so you're saying you start narrow, and you can build out. You can it, always. It, it, build it's harder out. often when you've already got established business that's servicing everyone to narrow in. That is that a harder journey?
2: Uh, no, I don't think it is. It's hard no. from a psychological perspective mm. to to convince yourself. Um, that that is worthwhile doing. But one of the things I often do is is I ask people to go back and do a bit of analysis and have a look at who are your most profitable clients. Mm. And it's very interesting when people do that analysis. Sometimes they don't realise who their most profitable clients Mm. are. And once they realise it, they say, hang on a second, if I could get more of those particular clients... I'd be a much more successful, mm. much more profitable business.
0: So you can look at your existing business and hone in from there. Absolutely. How, how, how did you end up with a specialty? Did you just fall onto it in, in the law firms? or no,
1: it... I, Well, yes and no. Um, I think to begin with, I mean, I used to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I like to say I'm all right now. I've recovered from that. Um, but And so I have a domain knowledge and expertise in the area of law. So I would uh, – it's a long story. I won't go into now. But I, I was focused on building e-learning. Online learning was the thing that excited me. Um, and so I naturally looked at um, continuing professional development was one of the requirement, mandatory requirement in the legal profession of, for training. And I remember how much of a pain it was having to leave the office and go and do my CPD every year. Mm. And so it was a natural thing. I just understood the domain. And I think that's a really important mm. um, ben- uh, advantage I had over others. And so then I focused on that and I realized that I was really able to understand what that specific client needed mm. and what product I had to deliver to that client. Yeah. Um, and then I went away from it and I started to spread myself because I think one of your, the, what you're talking about is to get to the point of the confidence to say no to a prospective client. Mm. That's really hard, mm. right? Because you think oh, I've got to take everything that comes in the door, and the ability to turn and say, "Well, actually, this isn't where I'm focused right now." And yes, it may bring me in some money, but it's going to de- de- it's going to de- um, detract me and and um, take me off focus. And that confidence, that willingness to say no, and focus in on what you've got. Now, for me, we're thankfully we've got to the point where we've almost saturated the big end legal market. So we're, I'd love to say we're in the Apple position, but we're mm. not. But, and, but to the extent that now um, we've built that reputation, we understand that market, we're servicing that market, that's now generating recurring income on a comfortable basis. Now we're focused to the corporate sector. Mm. And that's where our growth is. And 20% of our growth in this year has come from the corporate sector, and we only started a year ago. But I'm focused on the corporate sector and mm. types of corporates as opposed to anybody. Yeah.
0: So you, you got your one niche right you, you know you really sort of you know got a good position there and then you built on from there
1: that's right I mean you know you there's certain things competitive advantage right unique competitive advantage what is the barrier to entry for someone mm. in and coming taking my business away from me mm. you can only build that sort of barriers to entry when you really focus on a particular niche
0: and, and how much of that is also looking at, Joel, is there a gap in the market for what I'm doing? Does that matter as much? Or, or is it okay to be doing what someone else is doing if you think you've got a, you've still got a good angle in it?
2: Um, great question. Look, I think when you're analysing your niche um, and, and which particular market, there's a number of factors that come into play. And so what you're suggesting, this question of is there a gap in the market, is one factor. It's not the only factor. It's one factor to take into account. If there's a gap in the market, no one's doing what you're doing, great. Mm. But I wouldn't say that just because there's no obvious gap in the market doesn't mean you can't mm. do it. If you can differentiate yourself in a meaningful way, then I would say that there's still room.
0: Yeah, and I guess it also depends how big you want to be, in a way, doesn't it? I mean. There's, well, there's always room for competition, right. but if you're a small business, you know, or you want to get successful, you want to get to a certain revenue or profitable target, you don't necessarily need to capture the entire market
2: that's true as well Mm. absolutely
0: so one thing we uh touched on is about the idea of you know getting balance in your life getting the you know family business health all that but for a lot of people that's really really difficult and and sometimes you look at the most successful people whether it's in sport or in business um they don't look like they've got any balance at all you know what was uh, Steve Jobs? What he was working probably eighteen-hour days. He was a CEO of two companies. You know, you think what does it take to become an Olympic athlete? You know, there's no such thing as balance. Right. You know, how do you get really successful and, and keep that balance? Or should you not be aiming for it?
1: So that's a really good question. We were actually discussing this on the way way over because I was listening to um, the, the CEO of of Air. Um, uh, airbnb Airbnb, sorry airbnb and he was saying that when they started up um they would ask that question to interviewees like how good are you at life life balance and if the person said good they wouldn't hire them right because because they, <laughs> they wanted people who were totally dedicated to work yeah. and i think that when you pull out people like steve jobs right or gold medal winners you know you're talking about such a tiny percentage of the world yeah that's true. right that it's not a fair thing to look at i think mm. if you look at the vast majority of the world they're not satisfied and i don't believe i mean steve jobs was not a nice person mm. right everybody would tell you that and i think that it reflected in his lifestyle mm. so i don't know that he was ultimately happy and had full you know he had certainly he was successful from others perspectives right but,
0: but there are also times though when one needs to have more of an emphasis on the other than yes. the other. 100%. You know, when you were getting the business back on track, you had to devote 100%. more to yeah. it than you might and have I think wanted balance to. balance
2: doesn't mean that you have necessarily have to spend equal amount of time mm-hmm. on every aspect mm-hmm. of your life. It's about spending the appropriate amount of time on each aspect of your life.
1: I also want to say that what's really important is that for for me personally, it was because I had a relationship with my partner, with my wife, that I was able to, she said to me, get off your ass and go to London. I know mm. you're not going to be here, right? But we 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 know each other. Mm. We're secure in each other. You need to go and do this now. So it's not like I didn't do it because I needed to spend time at mm. home. No, my home said to me, we recognize this is necessary.
0: At this point in at time. At this point
1: in time, yeah. go and do it. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's equal balance. Yeah.
2: But what I think we also recognized was that at some point it was getting too much mm. and we had to rein it in mm. and come up with a way to make sure that there, he was spending the right amount of time back at home. Once things were a little bit more settled, then we had to rein it mm. back in. More than that, I started to get addicted to
1: the success. Mm. It was working, right? And then I realized that I was really loving it and, and in it. And then Joel said to me, well, hang on, what happened to your your goal of mm. spending 60% of the time at home? And it was like, Oh, I'd forgotten that, yeah, exactly what you
0: say yeah and sometimes the um yeah the business environment mm. could be a more controlled environment than home totally. yeah when you've got teenage kids or sort of, you you know you're the boss, you're more in control, and that's probably why people end up you know spending more and more time at the office
1: that, that's I'm sure that's that's the case, but I also want to say just for the for the partners because when you talk about control, what I want to to acknowledge is that many of us have, who have to work and when we get into these difficult times and we have all this effort, our partners don't have any control.
0: Mm, That's true.
1: And they have to support us and be doing and living in the environment that we're giving them, trusting that we're going to deliver. And I just wanted to put out a a thank you to those. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. um, We're going to move on to another couple of segments. But before we do, Joel, do you want to just, uh, tell everyone where they can find the book, uh, where they can find out a bit more about you guys.
2: Sure, um, our book is actually selling for ninety nine cents for a limited period of time on Amazon. They can yep. either go to the Australian Amazon dot um, com dot au website or the, the American one, and they can get our ebook. Um, they can also get you know paperbacks at at all good booksellers around town, um, and if they jump on our website. Um, which is mindfulentrepreneur.co.co. They can find out more about us and also more about an interesting online program, um, coaching program, which is a great follow-on to the book. Excellent.
0: All right, we're going to go through a couple of segments. We're going to do three quick tips for business owners. Joel, I think I'm going to go first and then you'll go next. So tip number one for small business owners is get some outside help, Uh, whether it's a business coach, a colleague, Uh, someone like Joel, um, or there are plenty of other resources in the community as well. There's small business mentoring services, often councils um, have got services like that. So really, number one is get some outside help to make sure you've got perspective. Number two is implement quickly. So when you uh, have uh, something that you want to put in place in your business, if you've worked with a coach, get on and do it as fast as you can because uh, you'll get some success and that will help you you know, move to the next step. The third thing is don't try and make things perfect. Whether it's a website, a blog post, or a proposal to a client, everything can be changed in this day and age. Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Now, Joel,
2: over to your three tips. Thanks very much. Um, tip one is systemize your business. Um, we talk about the holy grail for business owners is to work less and earn more. How do you work less? You set your business up to run smoothly and profitably without you needing to be there all the time. And one of the ways to do that is to systemize your business, to put in place step-by-step processes for doing the key recurring tasks in the business, much like franchises have. Um, And if you do that, you can then pass on those tasks to others with confidence that they'll be performed consistently and successfully, and that frees up your time. Um, tip two is uh, one we mentioned earlier on, and that is to focus on a specific target market for your business. We sometimes think that focusing broad and wide um, in a scattergun kind of way is the best way to go, and we get nervous about turning away clients. But actually, when you focus in on a specific target market with in a specific with a specific demographic, specific industry, Um, you can actually deliver a better outcome to those people and it delivers a better outcome for the business. Uh, And the final one is around this concept of balance that you mentioned earlier. We we talked about the fact that the state of your business and your state of mind are deeply intertwined. um, And that means spending, recognising that you actually need to spend time on your business and on other aspects of your life. One interesting approach that's been working is this idea of creating digital free time, that's recognizing that we're bombarded constantly with emails, text messages, etc., and it's, it's overwhelming. And creating a space in your life for at least a, a, a period of time to switch off is really important from a psychological perspective and it actually helps you in your business too.
0: Okay, Howard, I'm gonna put you on the spot. You've got 30 seconds to give us just one tip.
2: Um,
1: take ownership, be responsible. No one's going to make it happen unless you really bring focus and do it. And that's the all aspects of your life. Bring focus to your wife, bring focus to your kids, bring focus to your business.
0: Okay, terrific. Um, Thank you, Howard and Joel. It's now time for my last segment, which is my propeller head of the week. So one thing uh, which is really important for business owners is to be using your business to create wealth outside of the business. And the most tax effective way to be doing that is by superannuation. So my message for business owners is don't neglect your super. Uh, This year, if you are over 50, you can put $35,000 into super. If you're under 50, you can put $30,000 in tax deductible. From next year, it's reducing to $25,000. So the limits have been coming down. But there is a good new piece of legislation that's coming in the year after next. And that is that if you've got a balance of less than $500,000 in super, Um, and you haven't made contributions in the last few years, you can actually catch them up in one fell swoop. So that's a good tip for small business owners. Don't neglect your super. Okay, well, that's about all we have time for. Uh, I'm grateful for uh, Joel Gershman and Howard Finger for coming in today. It was a great discussion. Wish you guys lots of success with your book and with the coaching program. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks very much, Ruben.
1: Thank you, Ruben.